Hi there, I'm Dermot Buffini and you're listening to Takeover Tuesday here on The Brian Buffini Show. As you may already know, once a month I take over the mic and we interview guests who've experienced great success in their life and we learn about their journey. Now, it's the beginning of the year and as we say hello to 2018, we're excited to introduce some great content for the year ahead. And today, I'm proud to announce that we'll also be adding a new voice and perspective to our lineup here on Takeover Tuesday. Jamie Nowak will also be interviewing various guests throughout the year, and Jamie brings an incredible amount of business and life experience to the podcast. Jamie also has a great personal story, as many of you know, and if you'd like to learn more about her story, I'd encourage you to check out Brian's interview with her called From Broken to Blessed. So, with all that being said, today we're going to listen in on Jamie's first Takeover Tuesday with Molly Fletcher. Molly Fletcher is a former high-level sports agent, entrepreneur, motivational speaker, and an all-around powerhouse of a lady. She has a great story with loads of wisdom to share. Let's listen in, and I'll see you next month on Takeover Tuesday. Over to you, Jamie. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing our next guest, Molly Fletcher. I'm excited to be here with Molly. She has often been hailed as the female Jerry Maguire. She's negotiated over $500 million in contracts for athletes and entertainers. Great people such as the Hall of Fame pitcher John Smoltz, the PGA Tour golfer Matt Kuchar, the basketball championship coaches Tom Izzo and Doc Rivers, amazing broadcasters like Aaron Andrews and Ernie Johnson, and just so many more people. Now, she was once the president of client representation for sports and the entertainment agency CSE and one of the world's only female sports agents, which I cannot wait to dig into this conversation. She's also authored four books. She's a successful entrepreneur, and she's now the CEO of the Molly Fletcher Company, where she shares this business wisdom that she's learned all over the world to top companies and trade associations. And she's here with us today. Wait, not to mention, she's a mama of three beautiful girls. She's a wife. You know, she's got a lot of other roles and responsibilities besides what I just talked about right there. So, Molly, is there anything you don't do? And welcome to the show. Oh, you're so kind. It's (laughs) awesome to be with you. I'm a mom, as they say. You're a mom. I'm a mom. And we both are. Amen, girl. Yeah, and it's one of our it's, greatest jobs, I is. think. It is. I it's think. probably our most important, don't you think? I do. I think it's yeah. it kind of sets the tone for the future in our country and totally. in the world. Totally. Right? It sure does. So we'll talk a little more about that. As you know, we're here on Takeover Tuesday. We've kicked out Mr. Brian Buffini today. <laughs> I know, right? The ladies have edged him out, and I hope you'll stay with us because we've got some great things to share. And you know, you've listened to a lot of Brian's podcasts. We like to tackle and share the mindset and the methodologies and the motivation of success and of top performers. Mm -hmm. People that achieve the highest levels in their life and in their business and they've got fulfillment and you know they're moving forward with great things and I'm really excited to have this conversation because you're one of those people first of all in your own right but you've learned and served so many others and you've kind of seen the inner workings of how people really operate. Sure, not, behind the curtain. Right, behind the curtain. Yeah. It's not what you get in front of the camera or on the ball court even or you know on the pitcher's mound. You saw the real stuff. Sure. And how those people had to operate to perform at the highest levels. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the things that were the difference makers. So we're going to talk about all that stuff, but I have to start back at kind of the beginning because it's good to set the tone of... Gosh, where did Molly Fletcher come from? I mean, you grew up in a small town in Michigan, 
real middle class working family. Tell me a little bit more about that, your background, your younger years, because I believe they kind of shape us yeah, for, they do. for what we're doing. Yeah, they do. They so do. And thanks for having me on, Jamie. It's fun to be with you. We've uh, been hanging out all we day, have, actually. Dude, it's been amazing. I love this place. Tour I'm in like my, my head's blown. Walking yeah. around Buffini. We're in like Disneyland oh, for small business owners. I, exactly. I love it. <laughs> and like you practice what you preach, which, you know, we just talked with Brian about. So, you know, for me, I grew up with twin brothers that are five years older than me. Wow. Who treated me probably a lot more like a little brother than a little sister. Mm-hmm. I think that played a role in kind of my passion for sports. They certainly were tough on me in a kind of a loving, cool way. Most of the time. Most of the time, but they would play <laughs> war on my chest at times and all that kind of stuff, you know? Now, um, did you play sports when you were younger? Did you have I to, did. Just to just... I did. I played tennis growing up and, and basketball and swimming, and then I sort of fell in love with tennis and started playing tennis, you know, really locked in on that as a freshman in high school. Nice. And then have parents who I'm still, I talk to my mom and dad and brothers pretty much every day. I've talked to all of them already, and, you know, it's 1030, and... So my mom was a school teacher, a speech pathologist in a public school system in Lansing for years. And my dad was a pharmaceutical sales rep. And so it's funny, right? I mean, you know, I think all of those things absolutely play a role in who we all become. Mm -hmm. And I would say that all four of them are without question and have been and continue to be an amazing influence on my life. So I'm forever grateful for all the moments that I learned from all of them. So it's pretty awesome. You know, you say that, I mean, you you talk to your mom, your dad, your brothers today, like when you got up. Yeah. What do you think created that deep connection that lives on today? Because it's real easy to get disconnected in the society that we're in. And in. so what do you think laid the foundation back at that time that's created what it is today? Yeah. You know, it was a home full of really hardworking mindset. Mm. You know, my dad didn't really love his job, but he did it because he needed to, to support our family. And my mom has always had a servant heart. She's very involved with our community, you know, would take all of my old jackets and coats and sweaters and give them to kids at the schools where she taught. You know, I was telling you earlier today, right, that my dad would have these motivational books from Zig Ziglar, who I know is a He's a, a man. of ours. Oh, I know. And, you know, I would pick up those books. And so, you know, I'm a big little moments create big outcomes person. And those were just lots of little, little moments that would happen. My dad, we would drive up to a, a little cabin, a really little tiny sort of cabin that we had about an hour and a half from our house. And I always love this story because we would drive into my brothers and I would be in the back seat and he'd sort of say, hey, you guys, that ice cream store's coming up. Anybody want some ice cream? And my brothers and I would get all excited. Yeah, Dad, yeah, yeah, I want the blue moon, whatever. And yeah, you know, we'd all, you know, get excited. And he'd drive right by the exit. And what? we'd go, Dad, what's up, man? And he goes, yeah, guess what? You don't always get what you want in life. I mean, you know, and at like eight, oh, right? Oh, man. And my mom always says, why do you tell people that story? But to me, it, he always taught us, that success you sometimes have to wait for and special things you have to wait for and it doesn't all happen at once and you got to work for it and you got to work for it but he was also the same guy that you know I'd sit on his lap and he'd tell me he loved us and my brother so they married the perfect amount of love Mm. with the perfect amount of working hard with the perfect amount of time 
with all of us. All mixed in. Yeah, so they're pretty perfect, Oh, that to is, be honest. That's fabulous. Yeah, well, it's pretty I, cool. You know, I love that because you want to give your kids the ice cream. Yeah. Don't you? Oh, for sure. You want it because yeah. everybody's happy and yeah. then it releases endorphins. Yeah. And yeah. You're like, yeah, I'm the best mom ever. I'm the best dad ever. He's driving by. Totally. Don't always get what you want. Yeah. Sweethearts. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, love he was that. Tough. He made us tough. Yeah. You know, I have a little different ice cream story with my dad. He'd actually pull into the ice cream place in our RV. He'd ask us all what we wanted and we'd give him our orders. And then he'd say, you're all getting vanilla and get out of the car. Wow. A little different. Yeah. So, But the same principle. Totally. You don't always get what Probably you want. Probably a little bit. Yeah, totally. Love uh, that. I'll never forget that one. That's cool. So do you think along the way, you know, life growing up, it can be hard, even though sure. it sounds like you had a pretty yeah. incredible yeah. opportunity there with yeah. the parents and the, the siblings that you had. Is there a big lesson or experience in your younger years that really helped shape you and has helped you navigate kind of the different paths in your journey mm-hmm. was there something that happened that kind of was a turning point or that shook you mm-hmm. and that got you to see something a little different or it's how you kind of yeah. work through things yeah. today so there's probably a, a few you know one of them was i was in college and i went to michigan state which was like two miles from the house i grew up in yeah and i would always come home and study and eat and my mom and dad, you know, would say, look, honey, we love you, but we're paying for the food at the dorm. So if you want to live at home, live at home. If you want to live at the dorm, live at the dorm. And they were being sweet about it, but it was just a practical kind of thing. So one day I was home and I was studying and my dad comes walking in and he had been at this little place playing tennis with my mom and some other people. And he comes in and he sort of goes, oh, honey, I don't really feel good. Can you get me a little pack of ice? And I said, sure, dad, no problem. So I grab a pack of ice and he had poured himself a glass of wine and left it on the table and had gone upstairs. And my dad typically finishes his wine. So that was kind of odd. And he goes upstairs and I get him an ice pack and he puts it on his left shoulder and he's right-handed. And I thought, huh, that's kind of weird. And he was sort of grimacing in pain periodically and he was tough, right? He was in the, you know, military guy, center of his football team, you know, right? And I walked downstairs and I remember going, He's right-handed. It's his left shoulder. Wait a minute. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. So I called my mom at the place where we, they were playing tennis at this little local little YMCA place. And I said, hey, mom, I think dad's in a lot of pain. Like something's going on. She goes, I know. I know. I'm going to finish this set and I'll be home in a minute. And she sort of really laid back in that regard. And I go mm-hmm. back upstairs and my dad's in a ton of pain and it's his left shoulder. And I'm like, he's having a heart attack. And I walked downstairs and I called the ambulance. And I go upstairs and I said, listen, dad, I called the ambulance and he's livid. Right. Livid. Well, tell him no lights, and I don't want anyone to know. And blah blah blah. And I said, okay, Dad, whatever. But he's a no coming. drama dude. Totally no 100%, drama. No attention. Whatever. My mom pulls in. The ambulance is pulling in at the same time. They're wheeling him down the stairs. He gets in the ambulance. We're going to the hospital, and he's having a heart attack in the ambulance on his way. All hooked up now to IVs and the blood. You know, they're thinning out his blood, sort of flow and all that. And so that was like a moment where. You know, I realized like you got to ask for what you want. You got to do what you think is right in the moment, sort of no matter what maybe the person maybe wants or doesn't want. Mm. So there was like moments like that. There was a moment when I played in a tennis match and I lost to a girl I shouldn't have lost to when I was in college. And it was my senior year and I was so embarrassed. I mean, I lost to a player that every single person on my team won their matches and I lost. Mm. There's eight lines. It was seven to one. Well, who lost? Molly. 
So I was mortified. I came home and I was just crying. And my dad just was like, hey, honey, look, it's not about what happened today. It's about how you learn from it and what you do about it and how you recover. And I won all the rest of my matches my senior year and graduated, you know, with one of the best records I'd ever had. And that was because that was a moment, right, where he taught me about recovery and resiliency. And so... Mm. There were so many kind he of things like that. He also taught you what not to do, even. I yeah, mean, as he's way, experiencing sure. a heart attack. Totally. You could lose your father. Sure. Who's obviously a very important sure. person sure. in your life. Sure. And you disregarded everything he said and everything your mother said, and you trusted your gut. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you made that call. Mm-hmm. And you probably saved him. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, mean, I know that's dramatic yeah. for you from, yeah. from Michigan. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah. shh, don't yeah. say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, but I know that you do have to listen to your heart and you have to listen to your gut. And, you know, that was a kind of a cool moment when, so, but there was so many little moments like that. My parents were always teaching us in sort of their own little cool way. Mm -hmm. And I think we all can have that opportunity today, whether it's the people we work with or the people that we live with. Sure. Those little nuggets of wisdom we've all learned. Oh yeah. The hard way usually. Well, yeah. I mean, and we have three daughters, 14 and 13-year-old twins, and you oh, have kids, You've of got course. twins in your family everywhere. Yeah, right. Oh, they're everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's We're really good at, you know. Duplicating. Duplicating. Oh, wow, exactly. that's pretty awesome, I know, Molly. I know. I mean, what's your secret for that? I don't oh, know if we should go there no, today. Yeah. But <laughs> Hyperovulation. Yeah. That's probably too much information. But Yeah, but it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. Only we can talk that's about right. stuff like that, that's right? That's right. That's right. So that's important. Yeah, yeah, so you've got a lot going on today So we've well. got a lot going on, but I do try to, you know, there's so many as parents, as mothers, there's so many teachable moments. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're not in the most expected situations or moments and so or the most convenient yeah sure that's right that's true yeah it's true my husband and I you know it's always sort of trying to sort of recognize those moments and sort of finish those conversations and start them and finish them yeah stop for a minute and pause totally I think that that's key you know as mom's talking here it's real easy to just be like get in the car yeah you're right (laughs) just get in the car we gotta go here we gotta go here we gotta go here and everybody's already late And there's a crisis happening of some kind. It's really easy to just brush it aside Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. say, we'll deal with it later. And I love that you're saying, well, wait a minute, you pause. Sure. You take that time and you look for those opportunities because Mm. we don't have them there forever. We don't. And I think you've got it right. You've got to recognize those moments. Like for me, obviously, I've had a background in sports and I'm super passionate about Sports and the platform that it can provide to young people certainly is really impactful. I mean, you learn about recovery, being coachable, feedback, you know, winning and losing. You learn so much. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the things my husband and I always do with our girls, you know, after a tennis match, right, with my, when I go watch my daughter play tennis, for example, one of our girls plays tennis, you know, it's easy to want to get in the car after the match and say, you know why you lost, right? I mean, like you just, first certain percentage was X and you're, you know what I mean? And you didn't come to the net enough. And then you, right. Correction, correction. Right. And I had a piece of advice from a friend once years ago and she said, you know, all I say to my child when they get in the car after is, man, I loved watching you play today. And that's, that's all all I say now. And if she says, you know, mom, what do you think happened in that second set? Or if after a basketball game, my daughter says, mom, what do you think? Then I'll say, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to share with you what I thought. It doesn't mean it's right, but I'm happy to. If, if you want me to, I will. But I think that that's really important so that they stay in love with whatever it is that they're doing mm. because they learn so much more than, 
you know, whatever the record is, doesn't really matter. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You wait to be invited in. I heard you say, which, That's has, cool. which is really That's managing the coaching yourself. you coming out right there, girl. I can't help it. I mean, you wait to be it's invited true. in because otherwise, you know, especially sure. teenagers. And I don't know that yet because my boys are still younger. Yeah. Um, but they got it figured out. Yeah. You know, and when yeah. you try to impose this and that and the other. And by the way, we're all heavily criticized sure. today. Oh, I Everybody yeah, would rather right. criticize than encourage and mm-hmm. lift up. And you mm-hmm. just saying, I loved watching you mm-hmm. play. Totally. That just fills me up. Oh, that's cool. That yeah. is some good stuff. So I want to get into more of that in a yeah, little bit. Yeah. But there's a story that I want you to share with our listeners today, because I think it goes back to everything. It goes back to resilience. It goes back to asking for what you want. Everything you've talked about so far it comes together in this little story that you share that caught my attention because you had graduated from college. You'd obviously been a very successful athlete, but you had a dream, though, to get into this sports management thing. Right. Like a girl. Right, right, like right. Especially, when was this? This yeah. was a while 96. ago. 96. Like, who, yeah. who no, are 93, you? 93, 93, right. Yep. Wait a minute. That's not your place, girl. Yeah, right. And you don't belong here. Right. But, but before we get there, because I want to talk about that, too. But you graduated and you had this dream to get into this highly competitive place that is mostly male dominated and you moved to Atlanta right. to pursue this dream. Right. And you didn't have a check written for you for living, for figuring it out. You didn't have a job. You just knew you right. listened to your gut yep. of what you wanted to do. You listened and you're like, I got to go to Atlanta if I'm going to pursue this and I have no idea how I'm going to make it. Yeah. So can you give me the little nutshell story of how you made that happen? Because I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Well, you know, I did. I played tennis at Michigan State. So I took 2000 bucks that I had saved from working in the summer and I got down to Atlanta. And like Brian and Buffini and company believe relationships are key. Mm. And so I tapped into some relationships that my coach had given me. One of them was a gentleman that informed me that tennis was a big deal in Atlanta and you could often teach for a reduced rate on your rent at apartment complexes. So I sort of went after that and I thought, boy, that'd be huge, right? If I can take away my rent expense, this Amen, could be pretty huge. Sister. Totally. <laughs> so I found out about an apartment complex that the tennis pro was leaving and I went over there and I did all kinds of stuff to build the relationship. I, I hooked her up with this free pizza deal. I for her you know, people in total, the apartment right. building. Yep, yep. I got Wilson Sporting us to send a bunch of gear for the residents. Um, I had these newsletters that I had written on how to hit a forehand and a backhand and all these basic kind of fundamental tennis tips that we could put in the newsletter. Giving great value. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. They know a little bit about that here, don't they? Yeah, totally. well, I think that's a big piece it. of succeeding yeah, in this yeah. life. Oh, for sure. And so, long story short, she gave me a shot and I negotiated. She was going to offer me 500 bucks off the rent, which was 850 and I negotiated it to, to be a straight-waved fee. So I lived in this apartment complex in exchange for teaching tennis once a week for an hour and a half for free for nine years. But how long did it take you to put that deal together? Because you were working something over here with the pizza place. Right. You were working something over here with the equipment. This didn't all just magically fall into place for you. It took grit and going in again and asking again for you to put that all together. How long do you think that 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 window was about? Six to eight weeks, I think. Six to eight weeks of you not really being able to really have food with your meals all that much, or at least eating ramen. Roman noodles, money. Those (laughs) things are money. Grapes, you can eat grapes at the grocery store, and they don't kill you, just so you know. 
So I was doing a little bit of that. You got to test. You don't have to wash them. You really, I'm just saying, you don't have to wash them. So that was a sweet deal. I mean, it was money because, you know, sports marketing, you don't make any money when you get going. I mean, literally, like, I think my starting salary was like 18 grand a year. Wow. And then I, you know, crushed it, and I made twenty two the next year. You know, woo! I know, right? You, I was Molly. killing it, right? Oh. And so you, you know, you had to be ready to kind of grind it. You know, again, that was, you know, me leaning back on kind of a platform that I'm grateful that my parents created, which is the opportunity to play tennis. So that's why I'm super passionate about what sports can do for young people. It's just, Building you know, it's confidence. endless. Yeah, or whatever it might be. It might be singing. It might be the piano. It doesn't matter. But you know, that ability to be coachable is key. The other thing is curiosity, right? Like, I think if you stay curious about how to serve people, then you then can uncover opportunities to allow you to serve them. And if you give and give and give, you know, maybe it comes back, maybe it doesn't, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that you're showing somebody how you can add value to their lives. And maybe it unlocks things inside of them that makes them better or their business better. And to me, that's, you know, really what it's all about. That's a philosophy that we definitely share. You and I, and then here at Buffini and Company, we want to provide great value to people. We want to serve them where they are, ask great questions. I love the stay into Mm -hmm. curiosity thing. And then you can really actually serve them when they feel listened to. Mm -hmm. No question. All big pieces of having a successful life, having a deep relationship with your family, with your children, with your business people that you serve. And it's a big deal. But what you also said is you got to grind and you got to ask. Yeah, yeah. So another interesting story that I just tapped into this morning when we were hanging out, walking around Buffini and Company is you had mentioned your dad had Zig Ziglar's books and tapes and everything all over your house, listening to them in the car, yep. you know, that kind of thing. And so you're a curious high school kid. You pick that up, you read it, you're listening to that stuff. Tell me, you met Zig Ziglar. How did that happen? Through a contact that was kind enough that knew that one day I wanted to maybe speak and that I was just passionate about personal development. I mean, you know, I was pretty geeky. I played tennis and just stayed focused on stuff. And so I would often go to like a Barnes and Noble and walk up and down the business sort of section of the bookstores and I would read all this. Yeah, totally. I dug (laughs) it all. And so someone through those relationships had connected me with Mr. Ziegler and I found myself meeting with him and I said, look, Mr. Ziegler, you know, I've read all your books and my dad's read all your books and I just think what you do is incredible and man, I would love to talk to you about, you know, how did you kind of do what you've done? And, you know, I was just curious, right? I was trying to learn and because I always thought speaking was interesting. I had a passion for trying to share a message that might help somebody else and and Zig was hilarious. I mean, Mr. Zig, he probably wanted to throw me out the window of his office. Cause I he, can't believe he, he agreed to meet with it you. Was you unbelievable. had to ask him a few times, right? I think a hundred. I mean, I recruited him like I recruited athletes. Exactly. And so I hope everybody caught that. Like a oh hundred times of asking. Oh my gosh. To get the yes. I dripped on him like little notes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Speaking our language. I love it, girl. I love <laughs> it. So he met with me and he said, go do something. I mean, what are you, are 22 years old. Like, what are you going to talk to people about? Like, you haven't done anything. And he was very nice, but he was probably laughing his way. Like, he was laughing inside, I'm sure. Did that hurt you to hear it? No, because he was right, honestly. A and B, I was in there to try to learn. And what he told me was really powerful. Mm. And I think that that's part of the power of curiosity, right, is that you've got to have the courage to ask the questions and then you've got to be able to listen and then absorb that feedback and do with it what you want to do with it. But for me, what he said was so right and so real and so on it. 
that I needed to pay attention to it. You were open to that feedback. Yeah. And then you took action based on the wisdom that he gave you. Yeah. And he, you know, he was no slouch. You know what I'm saying? Love him. Yeah. He's a stud. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. He was a special man. That's for sure. So that's fabulous. So you're listening to your gut. You want to get into this field of sports management. You're the only female looking to break into this. So tell me a little more about breaking in to that gig. Yeah. That wasn't easy. You're obviously a hardy woman, you know, in in the fact that you're resilient. You've learned a lot of great lessons, but this would be a tough one for any confident brave woman to go into because it's a boys club yes sure oh for sure oh yeah totally you know basically what happened was a a gentleman had told me once when I got to Atlanta he said Molly sometimes when you ask for a job you get advice sometimes when you ask for advice you get a job and I thought that was like wow I said that's really interesting so back then right it's three by five cards and business cards so I would meet with all these people and every single person I met with I would ask them for advice on anyone else in Atlanta that they knew with that was in the sports space that may be kind enough to give me 15 minutes. So they would do that typically. My goal in every meeting was get them to like me enough and respect me enough to help me or hire me. And if I can do that in 15 minutes, I can make an impact and I can evolve from there. And so I would either get them to like me enough to help me or hire me or respect me enough to do that. And so I would leave every meeting with hopefully about three names of people that they would be kind enough to make an introduction for. To refer you to, essentially. They use that word around here, don't they? (laughs) So, yeah. Those referrals, man. So they did. So I would want them to refer me to someone to meet with for 15 minutes again. And so literally after like two months, I can still see these little three by five card files on my desk. And I had like 90 cards in there. Wow. So, so this is how you built your database. Totally. Completely. Because this is the hardest 100%. piece for any self-employed person out there or anyone that works for even a, a company. Sure. Who am I going to call? Right. Like, I've got to sell yeah. this great product, service, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. What's my list? Who yeah. do I call? And you, it was like hand-to-hand combat. Totally. With love. But when you think about when you do the math on the referral process, which... You get in front of three people, they give you three names, now you've got nine. Wow. You get in front of those nine inside of a week, now those nine give you three more, now you've got 27 people helping you find a job. But did you have people say no? Sure. And then what did you do? Kept did going. Did you quit? Kept going. No, because there's lots of people in the world, and what I realized is a lot of people love to talk about themselves ah. and tell you how they got there and how amazing they are and how they did it. So to get in front of those people and those people would help, and it was... It was 100% or a for all model, but it was also a mindset of people want to help people and work with people they like. Yeah. And if people don't like you, they don't want to help you. No matter how much, whoever you are, it doesn't matter. If they don't like, the world's big. Yeah. You know, I mean, people I saw this choices. in sports. I mean, yeah, I, the line I always love to say is you better, as an athlete, to my athletes, I would say you better be better than your problems because if you aren't putting up crazy sick points you aren't worth it to the wow. coach. So my philosophy was always, you've got to deliver a tremendous amount of value in order for somebody to put up with maybe any of the negatives. So like on and off the field or the court. 100%. Right, character Integrity. and competence. Correct. Integrity, correct. honesty, which is who you chose to work with. Is that correct? Yeah, we were fortunate at, we definitely were selective about the people that we worked with, which was huge. Because Even in the beginning? 
pretty selective. And, you know, part of that was a mindset of let's not grow too fast so that we don't grab the wrong guys. Okay. And my mindset was how could I anchor every single division of the company from a sports perspective with a really amazing character person. Mm. So for baseball, it was John Smaltz. You know, for NBA coaches, it was a Doc Rivers or a Lenny Wilkins. You know, for for broadcasting, it was an Ernie Johnson, right? So if you put this just high-integrity person at the top of the pyramid, and then you go to another athlete or coach and you say, hey, you know, we work with Tom Izzo, they all of a sudden want to have a conversation. Right. Right. So to me, relationships are imperative. Those are game changers. Game people. For sure. Are game changers, like your podcast. That's what it's called. Yeah, that is. You're sweet. So you got to listen in to Molly's podcast, which is awesome. Game changers. But it is. I mean, you set the foundation with those great people in your database. And when you ask them, they will help you and they will refer you to others. And not everybody will. No, no, they won't. But most won't just because you never asked. Right. Can no I say question. that? <laughs> oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, too, what you also want to do is authentically give to those people that are helping you or that you think can help you without expecting anything back. But if you give to them, you build what I call a favor column, mm-hmm. and they sort of then begin to feel like they want to help you because you're truly trying to help them. It's like we're making investments in the emotional bank account. Amen. Totally. And you can't just expect to withdraw, withdraw, withdraw. Right. Exactly. You've got to put the good stuff in. Yeah, you do. Oh, you have to. It's key. And it's it sounds key. like that's what you did with your players and your people that you serve. I did. I mean, my goal was how can I identify gaps in their lives that they don't even see? Mm. You know, how can I give to an athlete? And it's hard when they're making 12 million bucks a year to find gaps in their lives. You know what I'm saying? But you have to find those gaps. And so it would be things like if I knew that one of the guys I was prospecting had three off days in San Diego, and I knew he loved to play golf, and I knew he wasn't pitching on those off days, then I would anticipate those moments, call him up and say, hey, man, you want me to get you on pick a golf course? And they'd go, wow, yeah, so I got to be huge, because, yeah, I don't, I'm not pitching in that series, and I love that golf. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Thanks. That'd be amazing. So they haven't gone out three weeks to say to themselves, I don't really want to sleep all day and go to the field. <laughs> right. So what am I going to, and I'm not pitching and the club allows me to play golf on my off days. So yeah, Molly, that'd be great. So you look for the things that were important to them. Yeah. And see how you can serve them. Amen. And you listen. 100%. So before we move on though, you had those meetings, this sure. building your database. Yeah. What were like the three questions you would recommend people ask if you're trying to help somebody like you yeah. and, you know, get into a relationship? What would you ask that you thought was the best yeah. parts of those meetings? Well, I mean, my goal was to ask enough questions that I could walk away with a database of ideas that I could do to help them a little bit. And, you know, and I couldn't always because I was an unemployed 21-year-old <laughs> broke college kid. So it wasn't like I could do a lot for them. Super but, cool that you asked, though. Yeah, yeah. But for me, number one, you never want to ask a question that you could have figured out on your own. So yeah. I don't think you ever want to ask anybody in that position a question that, hey, how did you get started? Or where'd you grow up? If that's all on their LinkedIn account or all on their bio, and we didn't have like LinkedIn back then. But the worst thing that can happen is you ask them something that you could have found out on your own. Cause then, Taking your time. That's your 15 minutes. No question. And so you've got to do your research and be super prepared. Okay. That, to me, is key. You know, and then I think you want to have something up your sleeve about their world that they wouldn't expect you to know. Mm. So maybe you say something to them that, you know, maybe the business just acquired another business. Maybe they just got promoted. Mm-hmm. Maybe you saw on their Twitter feed, and I'm fast forwarding to the world we live in today. Absolutely. Because I you couldn't can find do out this. everything. Right. So if you saw that they just went on a vacation with their family skiing, 
Ask them about it. Uh-huh. You know, look around their office when you walk in. Ask them about their kids. If they like you, they'll want to help you. And if you do your research, then they respect you. That's right. And so both you know of those your things stuff. are important. You know your stuff. It's competence. And what I'm hearing you say is pay attention. Amen. Yeah, you in do. In all circles. Yes. Yeah, you do. Yep. Your kids, yep. when they're sending that signal that we need to have a conversation, your players, the people that you want to be in business with, uh, and I think we have that opportunity more than ever in this crazy, distracted mm-hmm. day and age. Mm-hmm. If we have an opportunity to sit with someone face-to-face or voice-to-voice, ask them some questions sure. about what's important to them and sure. listen. Sure, sure. It's so true. And I think, yeah, I mean, and, and that whole curiosity piece is key. I mean, and I think you're right. I mean, the other day, I uh, my daughter was frustrated with me, and I could tell she was, and it was most of the day, and she was just kind of... I could tell she was frustrated because some stuff had happened the night before. I hadn't let her go to something that she wanted to go to, right, teenage daughter. So Uh-oh. I had said no. And so I went up to her room and I said, hey, honey, are you good? And she goes, yeah, why? Mm. I said, but you're not. No. I said, what's going on? I said, are you upset with me? And she said, she kind of looked at me like I think she was surprised that I asked that question maybe. And she closed her computer and she said, yeah, I am. Mm. And I said, what's up? And Maybe parenting experts would say, why are you asking a 14-year-old why they're upset with you? But to me, I wanted to connect. I think it's all about connection. Mm -hmm. And I sat on her couch for an hour and a half, and we talked about so much cool stuff, and Mm -hmm. we connected. And I think when you connect, you can parent better. When you connect, you can lead better. And so that was a powerful moment. Mm -hmm. But I think the days are filled with opportunities like that. Oh, that's huge. Um And I think uh, that brings me to another question that I have to ask you because we are moms, because one of the gifts that you've been given is the opportunity and and the passion to speak to people, to share what you've learned, to share the good stuff that works, what these peak producers use in their own life and what you've seen that works the best. So you're out and about. You're a mover and a shaker. Mama's not always home. And you talk about how important connection is with our family, with the people that we love, with our children. How do you continue that connection across the miles? When you are traveling, you've got a busy week. They've got a million things going on, too. I'm sure your household is just as crazy as mine. (laughs) How do you stay connected? So you may not be there physically, but you're with them. Yeah, sure. So one thing I did a while ago was I got really, really clear on what success looked like for me in both spaces as far as time. Mm. And what I realized, and I, you know, I can share the story, I don't think I've ever told it, was I, one time I had like three keynotes in a row and, you know, I was in like Pittsburgh and then New York and then I flew to LA and then I went and I was gone and literally that was an epiphany for me. And what I realized is I can do two events a week and that was it. Mm. So now... You pushed yourself too far. Yep. And so now we have systems in place with my team where we say no to anything. If I've already got two, I say no, because I can't do three in a week and feel present at home. That's your boundary. That's my boundary. But I had to create that clarity to be able to say no to things and yes to things. Mm. And but So to me, balance is a product of clarity. The more clarity you have the more you then can determine what to say yes and no to. Right. And then the byproduct of that is balance. So as an agent, I said no to stuff that the world would say, you got to be kidding me. You had 50 yard line tickets to the Super Bowl and you wanted to put your kids to bed? It was like, yeah, you're 100% right. Yeah. (laughs) But they're two, they won't remember it. Well, I will. Mm -hmm. And so 
I said no and I still do to stuff. And what I say to myself in those moments when it's hard to say no, I think women, moms, we want to say yes. We want to say yes. And I would say no. And what I found was this mind shift for me was, I'm, but I'm saying yes to my girls. I'm That's saying right. yes to my husband. And so that was sort of that shift I make in those moments. And I think that this topic right here is one of the biggest challenges that we all have. Men, women, everyone is where do we invest our time and energy yeah. to get the most return on that investment and most return meaning what do we really want mm -hmm. so you sat down mm -hmm. you're like what's important to me sure and then you even pushed yourself to say okay well that's too far right exactly so you learned your limit and now you stick to that limit so that i think that above all besides that great connection with your kids and your family and your husband that peace of mind that you have when sure. you say no, even yeah. though it's kind of painful yeah. and it's kind of scary and like, will I have another opportunity? Maybe, I don't know. Right, yeah. But this is more important. This right. is most important. And when we do say yes to everything, what I've learned in talking to the thousands of people that I have and in my own life, when we're saying yes to something, we're saying no to somebody else or something else. And a lot of times it's the most important people that oh, for get sure. the leftovers. Well, I know, and I'm always fascinated by that. I think we've got to make sure that we manage, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I'm passionate about is managing our energy almost more than our time. We, we live in a world where we manage our time so much. Yep. But I think you've got to say, what gives me energy? You know, what fills me up? What allows me to serve the people in my life that matter the most? And how do I make sure that I have enough energy left for them? Because they matter the most. You know, when you go to work all day and then you come home and you sit in your chair and your kids are screaming, You've got to make sure, in my opinion, to be intentional about carving out the things that fill you up and you have to almost schedule them. Like I schedule my workouts on yep. my calendar. I block them out and protect that time because that for me personally gives me energy. But I will also say, I think that for us as women, and I, and I couldn't agree with you more, I get more men now that ask the question about balance than I've ever had and it's so cool. Completely. Which is great. But to me, it's about getting really clear on that and then having the discipline to live up to it, yeah. which is hard. Mm -hmm. But also being gentle on ourselves along the way because it, there aren't going to be perfect days. Ever. And there's going to be perfect weeks. And, and so measure yourself on a quarterly or a monthly or an annual bait, whatever works for you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if I judge myself as a mother today, I mean, I talked to my girls this morning at 4 o'clock San Diego time, 7.30 on their way to school. Yep. I won't be home tonight, but you know what? I'll be there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and blah, blah, blah. So you've got to sort of manage it over a weekly basis, not a daily basis. Yeah, and, give and yourself my grace. Give, give yourself, yourself a little grace. grace. Never perfect. Totally. So tell me a few more of your non-negotiables or your morning or evening routine that you do that give you great energy, that allow you to perform at a very high level on the stage or in your company and at home. Sure. What are the things for you that are no matter what's non-negotiable? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one is connection with my family. If I don't feel connected to my husband and my girls, I just am not locked in. The day won't go as well. No. I mean, I need, my husband is awesome and we are super connected. And if there's a moment for whatever reason where I don't feel that way, I need to get back to that space so that I can go out into the world and do whatever it is that needs to be done that day. Non-negotiables for me, workouts yep. totally have to happen or Amen. I'm not fun to be around. Yeah. And um, and sleep. <laughs> really grumpy. Yeah. In my parents, it's a really funny kind of deal. We, we are all psycho about our sleep. Yeah. Like, I'll call my mom and go, hey, mom, how you doing? How'd you sleep? Like, it's super weird. It's my number one question it's with so my weird, kids. is it? 
Yeah, yeah, me too. Like, it's so no, random. We got to get to bed. Oh yeah. I, I mean, we yeah. need our sleep. Yeah. This is when all the the repair happens Amen. in our bodies totally and agree. our minds. I get eight to nine hours of sleep. People think I'm crazy. I'll be in bed at nine. Can I give you a high five? Right. Do are you the same way? Same way. Yeah. Well, and some of that is like eight thirty. I'm like, goodbye. Yeah. Good night. I know. Mama's out. Mama's going night night. Yep. Because we party's gotta, over. We got to be ready. I think it's gotta a big be ready deal. For I think that yeah. It's for me, but everybody's got different stuff. Yep. You know, my morning routine. I. I do this app, kind of it's this really cool meditation app thing. And so I do that in the mornings for like 15 minutes and kind of lock in. And then I try to pause and think about kind of my circle of brothers, parents, husband, kids. Mm. What's going on in their world today? What are they worried about? What are they excited about? What can I do to help make their day a little bit better? You know, what do they need for me? What can I anticipate for them? Mm. So I spend a little bit of time kind of in their heads and hearts every day really quick. I mean, it's probably two minutes, two minutes for Emma, my oldest, you know, Kate, Meg, the twins, Fred, my parents. And that was something I did as an agent. I would stand there in my office and be John Smoltz for like two minutes or Doc Rivers or Tom Izzo or any of these folks. And I would sort of go, what's going on? Oh, he pitched last night. He didn't pitch as well as he likes to, you know, or hey, he played golf yesterday, Matt Kuchar and you know, he shot a 72 and he normally shoots a 68 on this course. Like what's, so I think when we can get in the heads of the hearts of the people that matter most to us in our lives, we can serve them better. That's powerful. It's good. Yeah. That is powerful. And it takes a little bit of time and some intention, definitely some quiet. Yeah. But holy moly, then you come out of there, you're like sending love bombs everywhere. Right. And you're locked in and it takes like 25 minutes. I mean, it's not, and for me, like I need a cup of coffee to kind of lock in on email anyway. So Yeah, right. And the, la- the first place you don't want to go is your email in no. the morning. Oh, no, gosh. no, don't do that. No, don't touch the weapon of mass distraction. Right, please. <laughs> That's a good. Just one. don't leave it near you. Don't, yeah. don't let that happen. Um, I love that. So I want to go back now to the agent piece, sure. the sports management piece. As a woman, we didn't get to cover this because we went on to some other great topic. Right. What were you really challenged with? I mean, where were the doors slammed in your face? What were the struggles and what did you have to break through and push through to become successful in this industry? Well, I mean, you know, again, I think it starts with relationships. And for me, it was, you know, there was moments I would be standing behind home plate at a ball game and double A, you know, and Brian McCann, would, you know, he came over one time and DeRose and a couple of the guys that I worked with and the manager started yelling at the guys and they're like, dude, what do you, what do you guys cut it out and quit hitting on chicks and come and warm up and get to BP and let's go. Frank Coor was a player and small and they looked at the manager and they go, dude, that's my agent. <laughs> and so there was stuff like that or I'd be on the golf course on the range and, you know, players would, I'd walk practice rounds on Tuesdays a lot with my guys and so... You know, that was a great way to talk to them. And, you know, all the tour players will play a practice run on Tuesdays usually, and then they'll put the pro-ams Wednesday. So I would fly in and see guys for dinner on Monday night, walk a practice run on Tuesday, hang out a little bit, maybe dinner, and then fly back. So a lot of guys would come up to my players and say, why is your wife on the rank? What is going on, man? Or did you get a divorce? And who is that chick walking on? Who is that chick? So there was stuff like that that happened quite a bit. And I think it came down to having a strong relationship with the player so that the player had my back. They defended you. Yeah, they would go, easy, bro. It's actually kind of cool because she talks to my wife, my kids. You know, my wife calls her when my kids have a fever. And she helps them with that. And she played sports at at a pretty high... And so she kind of gets my competitive nature in my world and 
So you get it. And you weren't only serving that person, I'm hearing you say. You weren't only building that relationship with that one person. You were serving that family. No question. And you were anticipating needs. Sure. Or you were there to serve when they needed you. Yeah, which I think I know a lot of the listeners are in the real estate space. And not all are. But the agent business is so similar in the sense that it's fee-based, so relationship-centric. You're working with an entire family oftentimes. And you can do all your work before you ever get paid, and it could never come together. Oh you my could God. work for months and months and months, and you never get paid, yep. and it's nothing you did wrong. Yeah, so here's a good one. 50% of first-round guys make it to the big leagues. So I would draft a first-round guy. It takes him usually seven to eight years to get to the big leagues. Oh, my Lord. So I would draft a guy. Half of them would make it. Half of them wouldn't. And so your database is like dropping like flies. Right. So you've you got, got to keep putting the good yeah, ones, the new you, ones yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. And then seven years and you spend a lot of money getting them there. Bats, cleats, visits, dinners. So I feel the pain Yikes. of the agent that's out, the real estate agent that's out there given, showing given house after CPR. house after house. Right. Trying to get it done. Trying to get that deal done. And so tell me about that. I mean, obviously, one of your tremendous strengths is negotiation. I've even experienced that just today in the amount of time that we've been together and the questions you ask people and how interested you are. And I think everything is a sales presentation. Yeah. Whether we're trying to get uh, my boys to eat their vegetables uh, you're trying to keep your brothers maybe from licking all your mom's chocolate chip cookies. That's a little story yeah, that you tell, right? so true. Um, and, and now, you, you obviously, you've handled some pretty upper-end contracts. Everything is a negotiation and a sales presentation. So just give me some of your top tips on negotiating because every day we have many opportunities to make the situation better for us and to ask or to give up and be fearful and walk away. Sure. So give me your tips on that. Well, I mean, I'm super passionate about asking for what you want mm-hmm. in life, um, not asking for what you think you'll get. I think mm. there's a big difference. Well, that was the difference between you getting free rent sure, and only a few hundred off. Yeah, right, right. right. And I call it 360-degree awareness. So I think that the more you are in the heads and hearts of the people that you're working with, the better job you can do negotiating with them. So I'm a big fan of kind of getting inside, figuring out who you're dealing with. Sometimes we think we're negotiating with somebody and we think they're a real jerk. But maybe they just come at it differently than we do. Maybe we're real relational and they're real financial or strategic or logical and we're coming at it kind of from a different perspective. So it's not that they're a jerk. They're just different. They're approaching it differently. So I'm a big fan of, you know, really doing your research, being super prepared. I I don't think negotiation is about getting sideways with people. I think it's about getting on the same side of the table and connecting. Mm -hmm. I think negotiation is a conversation. Seeing how we can pull it together. Yeah, and it's using the we word. I would sit with GMs and go, we don't want him to leave. I know he's a free agent, but we need him here. And if we can keep him here, the city's going to be excited. We're all on the same team. Yeah, and so to me, the we thing is huge. But I think you've got to be prepared. Um, You know, you've got to connect. Negotiation's a conversation. It's a difficult conversation. And then you've got to ask. And then you've got to pause. Mm, so talk to, to me, me more about that. So I think oftentimes people will ask for what they want and then they keep talking. <laughs> they just keep word out. vomiting on, <laughs> on the person trying to justify their position. If you've set the stage and you've justified your position already, now you can pause. Like, you know when you go work out, you know the little 10-pound medicine ball? Yep. You probably do 20 pounds, but I do 10 I do not And you throw it pounds. back and forth <laughs> with each other. And, you know, that question... Throw it over like the 10-pound, 20-pound medicine ball. Let them hold it. 
and just stop. Because to me, that's when a lot of magic can happen because that's when you get so much back from them on what their position is. That's why I'm a big, big fan, by the way, of negotiating in person Mm -hmm. or video conference, maybe phone. But if you don't want a deal to happen, email them. (laughs) That's how I feel. Good tip. Yeah. Good tip. If you want it to happen, connect. Yeah, connect. And if it can't be person to person, voice to voice. Voice to voice. And nowadays we can do all this video stuff. It's awesome. Whatever. We, We have the ability to do that. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. So you have represented some of the greatest coaches, players, just peak performers in their own right. What have you learned from them? What do the best of the best do? You've shared a lot of your great tips. What are some others from them that you've seen consistently across the board? Yeah. Well, I think they recover from adversity quickly. They embrace feedback. Mm. They certainly stay curious about how to get better. You know, I was in an environment for almost 20 years where if the athlete, no matter how good they were, no matter how good they are, there is somebody ready to take their spot. Yep. So if they aren't getting better every single day, they're not going to make it. And so it was an environment that I consistently saw. And I truthfully thought the whole world was like that. Mm. I thought everybody has to keep getting better because everybody's trying to. And, you know, I remember, you know, Aaron Andrews saying, Molly, I mean, there's another young, hot, pretty girl that's pretty. And there she is, Sam. Right? She's on ESPN now. Yep. So, so there's, there is. There's always, and no matter how good a guy is or a girl is, they all kind of feel this way. I mean, I used to see guys on tour that when you win on tour, if you win a major, you get a five-year exemption. If you win a non-major, you get a two-year exemption. Mm. So that's job security, basically. Right. And so what you'll see happen with tour players is if they win a major or a non-major, then you'll see them just keep winning because now they're more comfortable. There's no pressure. Yeah. So it's an environment of constant motivation to get better. It's an environment of curiosity, of learning, of taking and embracing feedback, of consistently wanting to grow and get better and consistently feeling like no matter how many people are telling them they're amazing, Mm. the best ones sort of say, hey, thanks, but I know I can still get better and I know I got more in me. So always growing, always learning. And I think that's the audience of this podcast. For sure. Their number one thing is they want to grow personally, professionally. And those are the coolest people to hang out with. For sure. And by the way, isn't that a more exciting life? Way better. Like, I just think it's a more fun Who when you're constantly to learning in the status quo yeah i'm not no in one's on that jumping deal. up and down yeah. right now yeah so uh, anything you learned from them that were the biggest lessons the the mistakes the challenges what you shouldn't do wouldn't do to be successful what are the deal breakers yeah you know um i think the bit one of the most important things and i don't know that anybody really has it figured out yet i mean some some people do certainly but is you've really got to separate the athlete from the person. So in other words, John Smoltz is a really special pitcher. But John Smoltz has to separate who he is as a pitcher on the mound and as an athlete with who John Smoltz is a person. Mm. So I think that, and we all can do that in our own lives, right? Like who who we are as a business person and who we are, we have to make sure that we separate them because otherwise we don't feel like we're worth anything if something happens on the business side that, that isn't exactly like we want. For example, you used to see athletes, you still do, that have trouble retiring. Yeah. It's because they don't know who they are without it. So I think we've got to always make sure that we have separation between whatever it is that we do or whoever we are kind of 
uh, from a business perspective or with an athlete or a coach with who you are as a... So it doesn't define me. For sure. Is what you're saying. Yeah. So if it all goes to heck yeah. um, in my business and I'm struggling, it, it, I'm still valuable. It doesn't define me. I right. still have value to bring yeah. to the world, yeah. to my family, to people. I think that's a great tip because well, we've seen... The tragedy oh, sad. Yeah. in the sports world. I yeah. mean, you see it everywhere when they are injured and they can't play anymore. Or it's like, what do I do? Yeah. That was my everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you've got to have a purpose that's beyond you. Mm-hmm. In other words, I've seen a lot of athletes say, I want to be number one in the world. But what happens is they get to number one in the world and it's not enough. And so it's got to be, you've got to have a really clear purpose that's beyond you. I think if your purpose is about doing X or Y, that's sort of about filling up your own cup, at the end of the day, it's just not enough. I've seen a lot of miserable millionaires yep. or a lot of miserable people that are making a lot of money and they're a big deal on, on the mound or on the golf course, whatever it is. But you've got to have purpose beyond just that. And that, to me, is true fulfillment. I think there's a really big difference between achievement and fulfillment. And, and we're talking about being fulfilled, not achieving. So fulfillment, if there are people listening today saying, well, yeah, I mean, I'm achieving, I'm making this money, I've got this house, I want that car, whatever. But how do I find purpose? That's always a question we get. So maybe you could share with us a little bit. I mean, it sounds like you knew from a young age, not everybody does, how do you find that purpose that's not about you? So I think you find purpose with, you know, kind of curiosity plus service sort of creates an impact. So in other words, if you're curious, then purpose may find you. Mm, it always does. Yeah. So I think it's about staying curious and recognizing how can I be curious about the ways I can serve others? And then from that, you'll begin to make an impact. And to me, that oftentimes is what drives purpose. A lot of the data and the research also supports the fact that purpose is usually anchored against service, not some self-fulfilling deal. And those authentic goals and those purposeful goals we're talking about, they usually you usually knew what they were when you were younger. Yeah. Before it became about other things and yeah. having stuff. And, yeah. and so yeah. just to encourage everybody out there, because sometimes that will paralyze people. Say, well, I don't really have a purpose, but we do, in fact, in the ways that we can create those small moments that you talked about earlier with everybody that we meet yeah. whether it's a smile or it's an encouragement or yeah. it's a you know a question about them that maybe nobody ever asked or nobody stopped to listen to yeah it's that gift of attention that you're talking about mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. even if those people that are struggling with the purposeful stuff it's just in our day-to-day interactions and living let's try to connect with people let's yeah. try to serve people and provide value then we can create an impact and no question I do an exercise sometimes in some keynotes where I have people take five sheets of paper and I have them write the five most important things in their life, one on each sheet of paper. And so, you know, we get all different kinds of stuff, right? And then I have them crumple one up and throw it away. So now they have four. (gasps) And you should see, right, I do. People look at me like, lady, you're crazy. You got to be kidding me. I'm freaking out right now. And then I have them crumple up another one and then another one and then another one. And then they're left with one. And I sort of ask them, is this where you're putting your energy? Does this person or thing or behavior or belief know that they matter most to you? And if it doesn't, then we got a gap. And that's okay. Let's close that gap. Let's be intentional about recognizing that that's the most important thing in your life. And then let's be intentional about the process to change it. I think oftentimes, you know, we get so focused on the result that we want, but we got to focus on the process to get there. 
To mm. me, it's the process that is the most fulfilling. It's about the activities that we participate in every right. single day. Totally. That lead us to be in the best on the field. Or right. The best, or the best at home. Yeah. Or yeah. the best well, for ourselves. Well, and that's why I'm a big fan of Buffini and Company Candidly, because you guys are about the process, mm-hmm. and you help people with the process, and the results are there, right? Awesome, yeah. So it's good it's, stuff. That, it's I didn't get paid life. for that either, by it's the a way, great just for business. those that are listening, so you know. That's right. I mean, it is. It's, it's amazing work that we get to do, and you're doing that too. You're out there. So you've taken what you learned from an early age in your family through into as a sports performer, as a tennis player, sports agent, female sports agent. And now today you're out there inspiring thousands of people every year and sharing these great tips and systems and ways that you can have a great business and also live a good life. So what are you doing right now that has you really excited? What are you working on right now? Yeah. At mollyfletcher.com, by the way, if you want more info on Molly, go to mollyfletcher.com. Well, besides the daily uh, with three teenage daughters, um, that's, you know, I wrote a book called A Winner's Guide to Negotiating, and we've taken sort of that along with a lot of research and methodology and framed it up into a one-day workshop Mm. that we're launching in 2018 that will be and has been piloted and you know with great success so far so so I've been spending a lot of time kind of getting that where it needs to be to sort of make it a public offering for us and that'll be really cool because I think you know again I think everything in life's negotiable and if we can teach people how to do it and we can get people to practice and we can do it anchored in research and methodology in a process that's totally deployable hmm. and actionable, then, you know, we can make an impact. So I've been, uh, game changer negotiation training has, has been on my mind and a, a big part of what I've been doing the last. That's fabulous. And, you know, it is a very referable skill, that whole negotiation. Oh, piece. yeah. Yeah, no question. And we all do it, right? Yes. I mean, the people listening every, and, and I think it's all around us. It's everywhere. It's, it's more often every than conversation. we think. For sure. <laughs> it can be. Right. And we're negotiating things that sometimes we, we, we're negotiating where we spend our time. Yeah. We're negotiating who we give our energy to. What we say no to, what we say yeah. yes to. It's all yeah. a negotiation. And we're negotiating deals and terms and fees and all those things matter. They do. Awesome. So give me your number one mom hack because you mentioned three girls, busy household, what is your number one tip for busy moms and dads out there that have too many plates spinning? Anticipate and communicate. Mm. Anticipate well inside of their worlds and your world um, and communicate with your partner. Excellent. All right. So we always do rapid fire questions. I know you do a few of these as well. So All right. Um, we're going to be my own stuff. I do. I love doing All this. Right. So you ask your people, what's your worst habit? What's a bad habit you have? <laughs> Oh, my God. Keeping it real here. Keeping it real is right. Uh, Biting my nails. Don't look at my fingernails. I'm hiding them. Um, I've done it since I was like in high school and I still do it and it's just no good. I I mean, it's... We all have them. Yeah, that's my bad habit. I guess there's worse. Yeah. We got to be graceful. Graceful with ourselves. But I can type. uh, I mean, you know, it doesn't get in my way. You're a great typer. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So what advice would you give your younger self, Molly? You know, just be curious, stay curious, um, and recognize kind of that power in that. I think I did that pretty well, but I think I can always do that better. I think that's how we learn and grow. We can always improve. No doubt about it. All right. Now I'm going to go to the man's rapid fire questions. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten? 
Uh, when you ask for advice, you get a job. When you ask for a job, you get advice, which I've conveniently deployed as also when you ask for the business, you get advice. When you ask for advice, you get the business. Uh-huh. So I think... Uh, That's golden. I think both of those are good, yeah. That's golden. What uh, one talent or gift do you wish you had that you do not currently possess? You know, I wish I could play the piano. Yeah, I me love, too. do you? Yeah. yeah, it's, I know. And I know these are supposed to be rapid fire, but my mom made me take <laughs> piano lessons and I couldn't, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not ADD diagnosed, but I'm probably close. And I couldn't sit at the thing. I, I hated sitting there and doing it. And she would put a timer up and make oh. me sit there. And But I love listening to the piano actually. And I, I really do wish, wish I could play it. Maybe I'll do that when I, when I get older. Yeah. Right. What book has been the most instrumental in your life? You know, The Alchemist is a really cool book. Oh, that's um, a very good one. I love that. I love all of Lencioni's stuff. I'm a big fan of his books. Patrick, yeah. Yeah, he's good. Do you have a favorite of his? You know, Get Naked. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. It's, Sounds and for those of you that aren't familiar, it's not what you think. <laughs> yeah, it's a sales book, right? So it's a really cool book about, you know, just selling and, and, and relationships. So. I love all of his stuff. Yeah, he's very insightful and does it in a storytelling sort yeah. of way. It's very easy to yep. read. Yep, for sure. Cool. Favorite song? Favorite song? Boy, that's a good one. Probably the Michigan State fight song. Oh, boy. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not very rich. That's the ringtone on my through. phone, man. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, yeah. You do not forget where you came from, and that no. is that is a beautiful thing, too. That's yeah. That's a great foundation for everything else. And is there a movie that you watch over and over and over again that you just, when you see it as you're scrolling down, you can't not watch it? Well, so the truth is I don't watch very many movies at all. But honestly, one of the movies that I really do enjoy is Jerry Maguire. <laughs> But of just course. because it's just, I feel so good. I you mean, because some of it is so me. right. You complete me. Yeah, but you know that one's good. But I'm not a big. Uh, you know, my husband and I, we just have never been big movie. I just don't watch a lot of movies, to be not honest. Your deal. But if I'm on an airplane and you know, and anything like that is there, or something like, or I need to just chill for a couple hours. Pretty Woman, I think, is a cool movie. I'm aging myself, aren't oh my I? Gosh, I'm no, naming I'm these totally movies. totally with you. What about The Breakfast Club? Yeah, that one's say, good. Oh, Lord. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> I don't um, know how inspirational it is, but man, it brings me yeah, back. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. Yeah, or what's the uh, the dancing, uh, Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing. That's a good one. I love it. That's a good one. Boy, we're old it. ladies, aren't we? Yeah, I think so, but powerful ones. Hey. <laughs> You are, girl. I am honored to be on with you. This is cool. No, this has been such a great time. I want to thank you for coming out here. I mean, Molly made a special trip to our studios, and we've been hanging out all day, and we still have more fun to go here. And yeah. But it's just an honor and a pleasure to learn and grow from you, yeah. with you, oh, along sweet. the way, because we all got to help each other, man. Amen, it does girl. take a village. I know. It does. And, and it we does. need to stick together learn from each other and lift each other up when that is necessary yep. so yeah i want to thank you thank for being you here with oh me my today. gosh you guys rock it's been awesome thank you and so do you so you want to hang out with molly a little bit more go to mollyfletcher.com i read the winner's guide to negotiating it's fabulous and get on her game changers podcast as well and please, please don't forget, leave us a review on iTunes. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, what Mr. B brings every week, and Dermot Buffini and myself as well, leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, we want to learn more about what content you enjoy, what you'd like us to bring to you. 
And Molly and I are going to wrap it up here today, as we always do, with that Irish blessing. Now, I'm French, but this still works because we're in the building with all the Irish people. So I'll send you off today with this. May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.